extra wonderful, super spectacular, back in the saddle again episode of Normandy FM Final Fantasy X-2 edition. I, of course, am Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, it's been forever. It For has the folks been. at home, it might not have felt like forever, but it's been forever. <laughs> Yeah, it's been over a month since we recorded an episode for the show. Yeah, we're out of practice. We were going to be stumbling over each other. We're going to be mm, forgetting mm. what to do. We're going to be forgetting our P's and Q's the whole time. It's going to Yeah, be I don't even remember what we did on the show. I don't remember what it's about. Yeah, yeah. What are we talking about again? Is this about cyberpunk yet? Mm. <laughs> Today, uh, we are talking about Final Fantasy X-2, continuing our Final Fantasy X-2 season. Uh, we are in chapter three, and once again, we find ourselves at a chapter that kind of branches off and goes into just about every which way and every direction if you're not doing uh, just the hot spots, which we are not. We are not necessarily doing a 100% playthrough, but we are chasing the dream of doing a mostly complete playthrough. <laughs> we'll see how much that holds on <laughs> as the game goes on. But uh, so far, we've been sticking to it pretty well, and uh, our percentages are pretty darn close to what you would be at for a 100% completion. Uh, so for this one, this episode, we're doing essentially everything that we feel is not part of the a plot of this game so uh everything in chapter three that is kind of off on the sides off on the periphery and we'll be calling it out by area as we go um we've been telling the folks at home uh you who might be playing along with us uh that we've been using the keyblade nine keyblade 999 i believe is the the guy creator's name but it's on game facts and it's kind of been uh, at least from what we've seen online, the go-to guide for 100%ing Final Fantasy X-2. It's been incredibly helpful for us, and uh, we've been following that basically to a T. So if you go there and you follow all of uh, that person's laid-out guides for doing the extra stuff and then the hot spots, that's kind of the structure we're approaching this with. So to start it off, we, we don't even have stuff to do yet on the ground because up in the air we got to deal with something... Apparently there are fiends coming out of the temples. Mm -hmm. There's just a nasty fiend infestation in the temples that we were not aware of. And I mean, you got to wonder where they're coming from, right? Because those temples are pretty much sealed off from the outside. There's only one way in and one way out. So where are the fiends coming from, Ken? Mm -hmm. What do we even know at this point? Well, I mean, at this point, we know that Bahamut was somehow alive in some capacity in Bavel. So Mm -hmm. hop and skip away. You can assume mm-hmm. that some more things might be happening elsewhere, mm-hmm. and that might be bringing in some some nasty little beasties. Oh no! Return of the dark aeons. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to fight Dark Vale for mm-hmm. again. <laughs> <laughs> I still have memories. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the setup for this chapter: yeah. is that uh, the hotspot stuff, and also just generally around Spira, things are kind of going haywire. Uh, a lot of, let's say, the established truce, the tranquility of Spira is being slowly eroded as things are breaking, um, old promises are being run over, the the young are rising up against the old. It's It's all sorts of, I feel like chapter three, if it had a theme, would be a sort of rebellion, both of mm. the planet against the people living on it, but also the people living within it kind of starting to question each other and push against each other Mm. in interesting ways. Uh, We'll get to that. 
Well, and even in the first scene here, like, there's... Yuna's kind of having, like, this internal struggle about how she's supposed to deal with it, because I think, like, there's... It's in her nature to want to help, but she's also mm-hmm. kind of, like, tried to have this, like, sort of new code for herself. Like, I'm not going mm-hmm. to get involved in everyone else's problems. I'm not going to be the savior of Spira again. And so, like, when they're kind of all sitting there talking about what they want to do, Yuna has to kind of, like, spin it for everyone else and... Probably for herself as well. It's like, well, we'll just charge. We'll be your your friendly neighborhood goings, and we're gonna basically be like guns for hire to help out with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Which you know that that feels like her kind of trying to manage what she wants and what she feels that she needs to do, mm-hmm. um, which is you know kind of what she's going through in this game. I think it's interesting that we start to kind of develop a dynamic among the girls as well that. Yuna is being torn between these two drives. Riku is kind of an enabler in some mm. ways. Yeah. Um, and and Pain is more of the opposite side, where Pain is trying to keep Yuna conscious of all the ways in which people in Spira do try to manipulate her mm-hmm. and appeal to the way that she uh, wants to help other people. You know, right. she is more than willing to to put herself into the problems of others and people in Spira are going to be willing to do that depending on the person. Although there are also people in Spira who start to say, no, we don't need your help. Right. We can move right along. We're all good. And that feels weird too. Like that does feel like, you know, kind of a theme of this uh, chapter generally is everyone is kind of like starting to acknowledge out loud that Yuna exists in the space where she looked to look toward for guidance for, you know, some form of help of whatever's going on and you know certain characters are like you know recognizing out loud and also getting to the point where like oh maybe we should try and handle these things on our own and then some people are trying to like kind of figure out like oh maybe we're not equipped to handle this on our own maybe we are you know this is we, we've been led in our lives for so long that we don't really know what to do when our leaders are not here mm-hmm. yeah because that's i mean that's the other thing is that um we i feel like we get this teased early but we get confirmed later that nuge is missing mm. um i believe i've never done the the new bavel side of this but is the um or, or the new yevon side of this but is that leader mia as well yeah um, he's been missing since we beat him up under bavel gotcha so the kind of the two of the three figureheads we were introduced to in the last two acts or the last two chapters are also missing and that's an important thing to take into consideration as well as that some of these organizations are having to deal with the fact that they don't have their, you know, charismatic top at, at, at the <laughs> charismatic man at the top. Not well, you know, maybe a charismatic top, but who's to say? <laughs> who's to well, say? Well, that's LeBlanc. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a weird Freudian slip of the podcast already. <laughs> um, anyways, we're gonna play some Sphere Break. Can uh, we gotta talk about Sphere Break? I've I've got qualms with Sphere Break. Um, Sphere so Break f- fucking whips I better than Blitzball. Mm, I in well, every way, shape, and form. I do think that after playing Final Fantasy X, I feel the way about Blitzball the way I feel about uh, Sphere Break, which is that it is a conceptually good game that has so many issues in its like final version that it needs it could be so much greater if it gets smoothed over but so so with blitzball it was the finicky handling right the this that weird like 
uh, stop and start jerk motion sort of thing in the way like swimmers didn't always feel like they were moving in the right directions and sort of trying to angle up how things worked and when people got the jump on you and when they didn't like what was kind of the range in which people could uh, line up to defend you when you were passing or not like there there are all kinds of little little things in blitzball that could be made better right uh, but at the heart of it soccer like rpg soccer makes a lot of sense and it feels really good when it does click together uh i will say that sphere break seems more intimidating than it really is once you mm. boil it down to what it essentially is it's a timed math puzzle and you're not even really competing with anyone in the way that you do compete with people in blitzball or in triple triad it's more like you're someone has made a puzzle and you're trying to solve it if that mm-hmm. makes sense because there's not like someone else playing it at the same time and trying to score better than you or something you're just trying to score correctly before the timer or round count runs out and for for those of you at home who need a refresher the whole idea of sphere break is that you have a multiple in the middle of the board and then around that multiple are four kind of core coins that have number values on them and then around those coins are 12 border coins or you know uh you know additionally usable coins and the idea is that you have to make make a number like like score a sum of a multiple of the number in the middle using at least one of the center four coins and any amount of the other coins uh kind of like cribbage i feel like that was the thing i kept coming away from Mm -hmm. is it reminded me a lot of playing cribbage where you were kind of trying to make a hand that you would then play and score points off of uh and, and much like cribbage it it seems very simple at first but there are a lot of rules that can kind of stack up over time uh in order to let the experienced knowledgeable player score a lot of points by not just playing for a perfect hand but for playing uh for different rules and and trying to develop a different kind of strategy and what i mean by that is that the actual win condition is that you need to hit your quota um which is number of at least at the outset is number of coins on the border that you have used to create your sum so say there's a multiple of two in the middle and you you tap one of the core coins that's a one and then a border coin that's a three and that makes four so your sum is four the game says good job that's that's a multiple of two you score points for that and so you get one quota because you used a border coin and the other coin doesn't count that's just you you completing the hand as it were um a lot of these boards will start to get to the point where they have high quotas and low turn counts. So a good mm-hmm. example is in our championship here where we have to win three games and then beat the champion who is Shinra. And we'll talk about Shinra in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have, I think it was something like 15 turns to get 50 quota, which yeah, I think if you're just, right. if you're just doing using the border coins, it's very difficult because border coins increase by one every turn that they're not used 
and then when they either get used or increase past nine disappear for a while and if you run out of border coins to use you automatically lose so at first it seems like the idea is you're going to have to carefully manage because if you think about it okay you've got 12 border coins that's roughly four full rotations plus two that you need to hit your quota and so you're having to do all this math about how you're going to get all of those border coins connecting with each other. So what makes sense and what I was doing was use the echo counter. So mm-hmm. every Which is time, like crucial to winning yeah, the game. Absolutely, absolutely crucial. I, I don't know how someone would win the Shinra thing by just using border I, coins. I would... That's it. Mm, okay, I, I, can't, I obviously can't say for sure, for sure but like I would be surprised if it's possible, honestly. Um. Yeah, it it seems very, very difficult. Potentially, also like potentially possible, and I'll get to like why I think the Echo thing also has a problem and and one of the like core gameplay design problems that I have with this game in a second. But um, the, the Echo thing is that if you use the same number of coins or the same multiplier in succession, you get exponentially increasing quota points. So say I did that thing earlier where I only got one quota point, right? And then I did it again, and I did uh, a three for my core and a one on the border, and I had a multiplier of two again. Well, I'm going to get an echo point now because I used the same number of coins to make my sum, and I'm going to get a multiplier because I used the same times two multiple to get my thing. So now I've gotten two extra quota points and those build up over time. So the longer you keep that streak going, now you go from, okay, I, I was getting one quota point to now I'm getting two bonus to now I'm getting three bonus. And eventually you start getting like plus six plus seven bonus on top of the combinations you're making. And that's how you start to really rack it up. And so when I was looking for guides on this online, I was seeing a lot of people saying, like three combos four combos where you're only using maybe two two to three of the core coins ones that can't leave and then one of the border and you just got to know all the multiples offhand is how you do it because that way you're never going to run out of border coins and you're going to be able to quickly rack that stuff up over time uh and that was an effective strategy except when a fucking one showed up in the middle Mm. of the board because everything's a multiple of one and that just kills your combo. And because unless you manage to luck out, I mean, you're going to lose your coin combo no matter what. And then uh, maybe you luck out and your multiple combo stays alive. Uh, But even that's a gamble. So I, I hate the fact that one can be in there. I don't think that should be in the pool. I think that only exists to just really slap the player in the Mm -hmm. face. (laughs) I I can't think of an interesting design reason for why a multiple of one should pop up. Every other. No, I I think it is like deliberately there to fuck your combo up. Like I think that's the point. Oh, but I think that's bad then. Because then it's just an RNG thing they've put into the machine to say, oh, we should probably screw this person's combo up. Because the first time I played Shinra, I got like three or four ones in in a turn of 15. I got three or four of them. And then the next one, I got one over the course of like 11 or 12 turns. So it's clearly some level of RNG. So you can't even play with some level of expectation for it. 
And at that point, you are essentially playing cards, but I can't think of a card game that has as, as big of a, like, screw you, the rules stop working for you as that does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you build the game on top of these ideas of developing hands and rewarding the player for being conscious of not just the multiples that they're creating, but how many they're using and what kind of multiples they're creating um, in that way that you build a hand like cribbage. I think having something in there that just comes up and slaps you in the face every now and then for no reason just feels bad. Uh, It's like the opposite of what I like from player versus computer design where the player is supposed to feel rewarded for understanding the system and breaking it. And here it's just, there's something in there that stops the player from doing that just arbitrarily randomly to the point that if you roll that many ones on Shinra, you might as well just restart because you're not going to get it. Um, Mm. Ken, before we move on to the actual Sphere Break tournament side of things, just about the game Sphere Break, how do you feel? I like it a lot. It's um, I mean, like, like I made the comparison to Blitzball because I think like even though, like Blitzball is in Tenchu as well, but I just don't think it functions the same way. It's sort of this like thing that you come to Luca to do. Um, I just enjoy it a lot because it is like you know more of a puzzle than it is, you know the this like weird like amalgamation of like a competitive sport that they tried to fix in turn-based systems that Blitzball was and you know it's just I, I, I like it in the same way that I would like an app on my phone like I would love Sphere Break as an app on my phone that I could play and there was some stuff that you talked about earlier today when we, I was watching you play about like it probably needs like a submit button yes so you don't oh my god because yes. like if you get in the midst of like adding up your coins if you get a multiple of the, the one in the center before you actually get to the end of the combination you were going to make, it'll just, you know, it'll wipe your streak away. And that can be annoying, but also, like, could could one say that is simply, like, part of the challenge? Like, each individual coin you pick is a move is, or is a play that you're making as opposed to, like, the thing that you just submit at the end? I mean, I, I think it should be that the same way that when you play rummy or something like that, you basically say like, I'm, I'm submitting my hand. Like you make that conscious choice. And I think most games, that's kind of the thing I come back to is I think this game is in a good way designed, uh, slim. It is kind of designed like a card game where you are really just dealing with basic numbers Mm -hmm. and positioning. And really what you're trying to do is just, arrange sets in the way that a lot of card games are just about arranging sets out of a random number generation machine. And there, there's a bit more strategy to it because of the way the border coins operate and, and things like that. But I do think it is very akin to a card game and why I think it could have like mass appeal. Like you said, an app would probably be pretty interesting, but that is in, in all of those kinds of games, I think they do have a submit button. And I think that's just, an aspect of the game that either got overlooked or maybe they just decided not to do. Um, Mm. But I think it would make the game better if you were trying. It kind of feels like they wanted people to be playing it fast, almost like there's with the timer and kind of the music that's going and, you know, there's, there's like a pulsating red light behind the board and stuff like that. It feels like they wanted this to not be so serene because mm. I do feel like when you are kind of in that Zen state, that you were trying to, to talk to me about strategy or whatever. And I was just kind of like, Ken, don't talk to me. I'm in the zone right now. Mm. <laughs> just let me, let me finish the round. <laughs> um, and 
I do think that it can get you there in the way that a good puzzle game can can do. Or you know, if you say you're, say you're playing something like Threes, it can hit that kind of same state where where you are just seeing the numbers and following. But uh, I I do think a submit button, you know, maybe that wasn't in there because they wanted that, you know, to not have that extra step to have it be more snappy and stuff like that. But I do think it would help purely because I was having to then think of what I wanted my sum to be and then figure out how to order my numbers in a way that wouldn't trigger that sum early Mm -hmm. Uh, and specifically not use sum chips because they would say, get me a five before I could get to a 20, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I can understand maybe gameplay design wise. They didn't want you to be able to just go five, 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 five. That's 20. There we go. They, you know, that would be kind of, that would feel cheap. That wouldn't feel like you're trying to engage with the systems of what this game is trying to do. But I do feel a submit button would overall be better just so you don't have those moments when you're like, okay, I'm doing three two seven three oh i hit three and two first that's a multiple of five i just burned an opportunity to use two border coins uh and it killed my streak because i was on a i was on a four coin streak and i just burned it so uh i yeah it's it's something that i would like to see i i do think it's overall a good game definitely not the worst side game in final fantasy history because it's not the snowboarding from final fantasy 7 but (laughs) Uh, maybe not in the hollowed halls where triple triad is played let's say although I would be interested to see sphere break get added to the golden saucer in, in Final Fantasy 14 that'd be pretty fun but uh, so that that's the gameplay side of it and the weird part is that this is kind of really the only time we have to engage with sphere break I mean you could optionally play it at other points in the game but I don't feel like there's really merit to unless there's like some thing you get at the end of that line. Maybe mm. I don't, I don't think it has like the blitz ball thing of you get Waka's ultimate weapon from it. Um, but there is <laughs> the reason we're here and playing in the, the Luca tournament is because the top prize for winning the tournament is a dress sphere and it's not just any dress sphere. It is the Lady Luck dress sphere. Uh, what what many would point to as one of the more unique and interesting dress spheres mm-hmm. in Ten Two. Uh, definitely one that I know Ken here was eager to get because you've mm-hmm. you've name checked it as a favorite. Some of our other guests have name checked it as as one of their favorites. Uh, so we toughed it out, and and this is where I'm going to start to critique the story because I think to a point. It's it's a good concept. I like when they do these little battle tournament arcs. Uh, they did that with Final Fantasy VII Retrograde or, or Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade Intermission, the the Yuffie stuff. Uh, they did that where they they had a Fort Condor mini game where you could play it against all the side characters of that game, and you got rewarded with some really cool stuff if you beat all of it. Uh, I think that's a great idea. I think that's fun. I also like, well, I think Four Condor is a better game than Sphere Break, but <laughs> um, I think, you know, using it as a way to tie in additional characters is fun. And I was bummed that they didn't, that the developers didn't take the opportunity here to have some old faces show up as actual players. Like, Shalinda is there 
and as like the TV reporter on the ground being like, we're here at the sphere break tournament. And then uh, Rin shows up and has this almost hilarious shot of him with like three women mm-hmm. just fawning over him. And he's just living like the playboy lifestyle now. Uh, and he's hosting and sponsoring the sphere grid ter- uh, sphere break tournament. Uh, but everyone you play against until Shinra, who is the champion, uh, it's just kind of a random person in Luca, mm-hmm. and I was and a dog, po- and a dog. the The dog is good. To be fair, playing against the dog is good. But uh, I I was kind of hoping that maybe they'd find a reason for maybe even if it wasn't, you know, it doesn't have to be Shalinda. But I, I feel like there are some unused side characters from Ten they could have put in here. They could have had one of the Crusaders. Uh, they could have had one of the Blitzball team members, like one of the Luka Goers could have been hanging out and playing. You even can run into a Luka Goer, a Blitzball player, while you're wandering around looking for people to play in the tournament. And they don't even say anything about the tournament. They're just like, yeah, love taking a break from playing Blitzball every now and then. Like, <laughs> this person exists and their sole personality is playing Blitzball. <laughs> uh <laughs> So I, I would have liked to have had some side characters here to, to chat with and hang out with, and it would have made it feel a little bit more special of a tournament. Um, that's that's part one of my critique. Um, did we want to just jump into talking about Shinra, though? Sure. This, this little shit. <laughs> <laughs> this, this ungrateful sphere kid who this entire... Uh, chapter by the way is following you around and uh setting up calm spheres for untold reasons as you go to every area and so is kind of being like hey take me to all the different places in spira so i can put these spheres down um he is the champion that you have to fight to win the tournament and ultimately either you or shinra will win the tournament why does he not give you the dress sphere if he wins the tournament? Y'all are on the same team. Shinra is aware that you are in the middle of an actual quest to do some good in the world and can make use of said dress sphere. Like there are, there's literally no reason for him to not be like, Oh, you, you lost the tournament. Well, I think you're going to make better use of this dress sphere than I could, you know, well, you'll pay me back in a different way, or maybe you have to do a side quest for him. And then he gives you the dress sphere in return. Like I, I don't, I don't like making Shinra the final champion. I think it, it would have to be somebody that's antagonistic to Yuna to have that sort of, you get it or you don't get it thing. So I feel like it would have had to have been LeBlanc or maybe like logos, uh, you know, someone who you could see like swooping in to get a sphere. Um, uh, who's the can help me out. The other summoner, uh, Bella. Dung? Yeah. Yeah. From, uh, from Kilika. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Donna. Um, if, if she had been the champion and was like, I remember the way you screwed me over at the temple. I'm getting this dress sphere that would have made more sense. Uh, 
as it is with Shinra, I just don't get that plot point. Just maybe something's going over my head, but so I... my my follow up question to all of this is: How often do you talk to Shinra, like on the ship, like I when mean, you're out? I usually at the start of the chapter, I stop by and I see what he's up to, and and I talk to him. I ask because like one of the first things that he says frequently, like when you talk to him, is I know everything. That to me is you know that it embodies Shinra's personality to me, and that he is a cocky little shit, and mm. there is like an arrogance to him. Even if like there, there are multiple points where it's gonna like get kind of played up for a gag when people kind of like point at like oh you don't know this thing and then he goes I'm just a kid I don't know and then shrugs his shoulders and walks away and so taking that into account like I think it's actually kind of pretty well in character for Shinra to kind of be this cocky little brat when he wins something over the adults in the room and wants to hoard the thing for himself um so that doesn't that doesn't bother like I mean sure there are maybe other ways they could have done it like it but just for the character that they put there in the the way that he kind of talks to and about everybody else, uh, broadly throughout the game, uh, that is worse for me. That he would not be willing to like give people give like again give the adults in the room the prize the thing that he won that he outwitted them for. Also, I I, I kind of just like it's one of the instances where I think the game as this thing that is meant to be re- replayed like multiple times, kind of has just like mm. this kind of this mm. almost like an interesting what if scenario of like. It kind of can like linger in the back of your head, like, oh, if I had won that, then you know I would have this other thing in my next playthrough, and I think that that's kind of where a lot of the, the sort of um, you know alternate endings that this game has for various things, like you know, th- things that are far more dire than the free break tournament. I think that's where, what a lot of those are meant to kind of convey is that like you not doing this thing or not being there throughout this entire storyline has resulted in what is basically like an objectively worse outcome for those involved and mm-hmm. so for me it's just like i don't know it's more of a i guess a humorous version of the thing because like it is kind of played it for laughs because like you know you and Rico were like well you know somebody in the gold wings wanted it anyway so it's fine and then he's like but this is my dress sphere what are you talking about and then everyone's just kind of like you prat and then everybody laughs and then moves on to the next thing so i just think like all together that all works for me in terms of like the structure of the game, and also for, the, I I just think, little shit, is like a a, poor, a core bullet point on Shinra's character card. So, I just I think it's a weird situation that they write themselves into where now they're having to be like, you know, you could you could have your cake and eat it there too, where you could be like, oh well, Shinra won it, so maybe you have to appease him somehow or you have to like make some peace with him. Cause it's also like, it's not a small thing. It's if it was a garment grid that was hid behind this thing, then maybe, you know, it's a really good garment grid, but this is a full on job class that is, you know, behind this mini game, winning this mini game. And and, and we talked about this before. I, I I don't think a garment grid would have enticed people to play this the way that a dress for does. And I think like, I think it needs to be something significant that you're like, in that way, like, you know, you've got the thing like Waka's uh, most powerful weapon in 10 for all the Blitzball stuff. Like, I think having something like yeah, this. Waka doesn't lose an ability because of this. It's not like Waka can't cast a certain ability unless you beat Blitzball. Well, then I guess, and honestly, in that way, like, Tenzu is more interesting to me because it feels like something that I really want to learn and get better at so I can get this thing. Whereas I, I, I did not go back and get Waka's ultimate weapon because I don't want to play Blitzball. And so, that's not, like, enticing enough for me to spend the time it takes to, like, you know, craft the perfect team to do all these things. 
in a way that like free break is this like you know relative like time investment is a lot less to get something that i feel is more significant in the long run well so my point there again is that like using shinra in this place is what makes it feel weird because it develops this strange antagonistic relationship that is it's just kind of it it's someone who's you know they even like you're saying they resolve it where they say oh well the gold wings the gold wings don't have it because you don't get it you don't get to use it and so now it's just weird that there is a job class that you could be using that is on your ship but it's being hoarded by the little kid and you should probably reload your save and replay the tournament to try and win it and and i mean that's that's what I imagine a lot of people have done to to do this. I don't think a lot of people play that mini game and lose once and be like, oh, well, you know, I'm out, you know, GG's. Um, and, and so that's why that that's why my point was I don't hate the concept of what they did here, but I'm I'm just curious why they didn't put someone who is more upfront antagonistic and would remove access, like physically remove access from that dress sphere. You know, it's imagine like your roommate you and your roommate are competing and you know you live in a college dorm so you literally sleep across the room from each other and your roommate wins the brand new television the big screen tv and you're like oh well you know you won you were better at this sphere break game than i was but you know i at least our our dorm gets the television and then he's like nah this is going directly into my closet and never getting plugged in or turned on because it's mine and not yours. That that's like a very hostile thing. That's going to then be like, man, this, this person that I'm living in this room with is very aggressive and mean for no reason when both of us could have shared in this. And, uh, you know, you would then maybe endeavor to try and repair that relationship. And instead like the thing with Shinra is just like, Oh Shinra. And they move on. And I, I like the camp in this game to some extent, but here it just feels like they wanted Shinra to be this genius brain kid who was good at sphere break, but maybe didn't think about what that would mean when he is suddenly withholding access to something from Yuna and Riku and pain. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so I that that's why I say I would have liked a character who is more upfront antagonistic, like a Logos or something like that, to be the one who is the final competition. Because then at least if they win the dress sphere, they're like, ha ha, well, I'm taking this back to LeBlanc HQ and you'll never see it again. That's score one for LeBlanc. And mm-hmm. like that makes a little bit more sense to me. Uh, versus Shinra being like, well, I'm shoving it in a drawer and you're never <laughs> going to see it again. Um that being said, I I do for the most part like the Lady Luck dress sphere. Um I have I have mostly good things that I like about it. I think mm. it's really cool how it, it can just use pretty much anything and and willy nilly too. Like I I did this next mission that we're going to do, the Mihen uh road. Uh which is just a bunch of series of battles. Uh, I I had Yuna using it for about half of the time. And uh, it was cool that she was throwing out all these abilities like armor break, power break, uh, different attacks, different uh, things that could kind of help my team out. And it was all at random because you're playing the reels when you do it. Mm. You can also just normally auto attack. But when you start out, you have the option to attack 
or you can spin the attack reels. Um, mm-hmm. Number one is that if you don't get any matches, you cast a spell called Dud, which drops pans on your own party and damages themselves, which I did not know was going to happen and wiped out <laughs> two of my characters. Yep. And Payne had to soldier on alone, which was fun. I thought that was, yeah. you know. Um, the one the one bit of friction I have with this class is that for a game that is about timing, and this is kind of my general like one big friction point with Final Fantasy X-2, is that the reels completely occupy your ability to make decisions for mm-hmm. a short period of time. And so you have to decide whether you're just going to like spam through the reels or like try to get them to stop on things that you want. Right. And uh, you're doing it to the detriment of your other characters being able to act. And we've had this before where it's like, oh, well, one character came up to act first and I need the other character to act as well. So I'm just going to input something really fast for one character so I can get to the menu of the other character and have them do the thing that I need them to do right now. So like you need to cast protect, but Yuna's dance cooldown ended first. So you got to tell her what to do next before you can tell Riku what to do next. Uh, and that eh, it feels good. It feels bad. It's, it's just kind of, it is the system that they work with. And I have a feeling it's part of the inherent machine limitations in this game, the way it's working. But uh, with the reels, I haven't decided yet whether I like that it does that or not, because I do like that it is potentially large reward, but you're having to put all your focus onto it and really mm. pay attention to it to the detriment of your other party members and then you can still mess it up like that's a gambling mindset which makes sense for that that character um but also uh it kind of starts you out with just those options and so like lady luck the the gambler job class does feel a bit underwhelming at first it feels very gimmicky at first and it's only started to feel more interesting as i have gained more abilities in that class right because i get the thing like the dice rolls which do like uh-huh. you know a number of hits depending on mm-hmm. uh what number you roll and like that also plays into like the chain mechanic like you are you know increasing by doing as many hits as you are you are able to increase damages of things that come after um i think my my feeling on the things that you're talking about with the reels i think if i think with this game like you have to be very cognizant of like what your your team build is at any point because like I was watching you play with the Dark Knight, with like playing the Dark Knight dress sphere a lot today. And as I said in the last episode, I don't feel like the dress spheres that I have put the time and effort into really gel with having that class on the field at any point. Because like I am so speed focused where the Dark Knight, both in terms of like the the ATB gauge that is going to fill it, but also like the movement speed of what their attacks are. Mm-hmm. It just kind of broadly, it does not gel in that same way. I think you just have to be like really deliberate with some of these classes and I think Lady yes, Luck is one of them as well where yeah. like you you know you can you know have this moment where you have to dedicate all your attention to the real but like you have to have characters that are also in the party that can at least you know survive in the midst of however long it is that you're looking at a very particular point in the screen and you know like for all the randomness of Lady Luck I think there there is like a sort of meticulousness you have to have about when and how you use any of those abilities and that it's just I think inherent to the job and uh-huh. Um, you know the the risk and reward of it is I think I think it goes beyond just you know the actual mechanics of like doing the reels or rolling the dice like you, I think you have to be you have to have a, a team that supports having that kind of character out uh-huh. at all times or you're or you're not going to get you know the mileage out of it that you need. Yeah, 
Yeah, like, the reason I have stuck with Dark Knight and why I've enjoyed it so much over Warrior is because when the deliberateness works... So, like, to be fair, when Ken was watching me today, I was grinding through a lot of battles, and there were some of them where my I instantly knew that I was like, oh, I can just autopilot through these. I don't really need to be paying attention to my actions or chaining them together or whatever, so I'm just going to keep mashing X while I look at my second monitor <laughs> mm. um and that was definitely some of those where i was just like mash x mash x uh, because i found the the combination of it was like darkness dance uh a level three spell from riku and uh attack from the dark knight that was just working um but what i like about the dark knight when it does work is a i think it has a really cool skill set of using status effects uh, alongside the warrior attacks and I've started to get to the point now where I'm equipping pain with items that gives her uh, extra effects on her attacks so she can apply things like slow on her attacks mm. which is very very useful uh, but also I I like that there's that big reward you know, for the big risk of, you know, sometimes Riku just decides to take a second longer than she normally does or cast her spell faster than she usually does. Uh, or, you know, I'm about, I'm sitting there with Payne's auto attack, like ready to launch it. And I'm having to anticipate it like a full second before the cast actually goes off so I can time them up right for the chain. But when I do land that chain, Ooh, Oh, it's numbers. Ken, it's mm. beautiful numbers. And so I, I kind of enjoy that because alongside the fact that Warrior is mostly just kind of Orin from Final Fantasy X and does not feel as dynamic as as the Dark Knight does, where the Dark Knight is able to apply things like Bio, is able to sacrifice life force if I want them to. Um, I'm enjoying some of the classes that feel a bit different from Ten in that regard, some of the more specialized classes. And so I have liked Lady Luck on yuna but it's also to the point where okay if i have yuna on lady luck and riku is my dedicated black mage what am i doing to take care of healing well i've got those two up well maybe pain needs to start doing some healing but what does pain's healing look like does pain go white mage at that point i don't have white mage trained up on pain maybe yuna has to go into white mage and we we swap some stuff around but it's I am having to start to contend with that part of the game where I can't just have one character be good at one thing. I need mm -hmm. to start having other characters be able to pull their own weight in right. very specific classes when I need those specific movesets out at a certain time. Right. Uh, yeah. I am um, like, I've kind of, I, I guess I've kind of settled into not necessarily like classes for each character, but more like archetypes of what I'm doing, because like, I do generally have Pain being the damage dealer, although when we haven't gotten to the dresser that I use her with her most frequently, we'll get, we'll get that this episode, where Riku, as I said before, like I have her mainly on White Mage or Alchemist, depending on the moment, because like, those mm -hmm. are like two like primary healing characters, yeah, but really also Alchemist. in different contexts that kind of allow me to, that I've kind of like shifted a lot of my White Mage use into mm -hmm. defense and then use Alchemist as, for healing, because that allows me to, like, bypass the shell that I just put up to, like, prevent everyone from taking a lot of damage from the magic using enemy that we're fighting, where mm -hmm. Yuna has kind of been more, like, my flex damage, kind of, like, I kind of have fun with her, I guess, more so, because she's the character I have on Lady Luck, she's the character I have on Trainer, she's the character I have on Gunner, 
And that is, she feels like more like the character that is kind of occupying the space of whatever I need in the moment where Riku and Pain are like very much these pillars of something. Um, different, mm-hmm. like, you know, it can be different uh, dress figures that I'm switching in between, but like they kind of generally occupy the same space. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had for a while now, I've, I've been able to get by without having a dedicated white mage or when I've needed a white mage, I don't need a black mage. And that's one of the nice parts is I feel like the game has not really had the sort of relying on elemental stuff Mm -hmm. that uh, Final Fantasy X did at times where I feel like you don't need to use elemental weaknesses as often. Like they aren't going to help in in many of the major fights that we've had so far. Yeah. Um, And so that's been freeing in a way, but when I do need a black mage, Riku has been my go-to, but Riku's also been my go-to white mage. So I'm, I'm like getting some friction there in some ways. And so maybe training up Yuna's lady luck to be able to use, uh, slot reels would help or even just looking into different classes when I need to proc certain elemental affinities might help but uh, I do still think this combat system is just really malleable and fun in, mm-hmm. in a way that is honestly reminiscent of something like you know Final Fantasy Tactics or Final Fantasy 5 like those sorts of uh, games where the job system is really malleable and uh, asks the player to really design a sort of combat set that they're going to put out. And obviously that ended up playing into final fantasy 13 as well. Uh, to the point that I do almost wish I could set presets and like call out for the team to swap to Mm. certain presets. I understand why they don't do that because that would undo the garment grid system that they have. But I also feel like the garment grid system is the one I engage with the least out of all the systems in this game in terms of, uh, it so far for me, it's mostly been about what you know. How many jobs do I need to have equipped for each character, and what do I need them to do? And I'm not really paying attention to. Oh, I need to pass through all the gates of my dress sphere and stuff. Uh, that has not really been what I've engaged with. Hmm. Uh, it's been much more about what's going to give me the best base level bonuses while also holding all the dress spheres I might need it to hold. Uh, and so I do almost wish there was like just a call out system, but I understand why it's not, I understand why it's not there. It's, you know, just going to have to live with that and imagine a final fantasy 13 with the complexity of, uh, 10 twos job classes and Mm -hmm. dream. (laughs) Uh, anyways, as I mentioned before, after we're done with the sphere break tournament, we jet off to the me and high road and, uh, the machina or rampaging just who knows why something went haywire skynet's finally back who knows but <laughs> uh we're gonna race the <laughs> the ambiguous all bed uh who we do not see at all <laughs> during this time mm-hmm. and we're just kind of like seeing numbers pop up where they're like the all bed are destroying machina you should try to destroy more than them make it a competition it'll be fun uh it, this is really just fight enemies yeah. along the high road. Uh, I It's fine. The, yeah. the music is great. The mm-hmm. music's fantastic in this section. Uh, really great time to be reminded of how good the battle music in this game is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, but, like a, I mean, there's another section in this chapter that I feel like does a more interesting, I guess, like uh, sort of riff on just like making you fight a bunch of enemies all at once, where this mm-hmm. is just like, it, it feels like killing time. Yeah, 
it feels like enforced grinding in the weirdest way where they're like, Hey, if you've been speeding through this game, you should probably stop and, and get some levels here. Whereas if you're over leveled for where you're at, like I am, I just was like, please stop making me do this. I already did this earlier in the game. I'm already too high a level. <laughs> stop. Um, Anyways, we we resolve that and it's it's just done. It's over. There's not really any major story stuff to come out of it other than hey, the the machina are acting up. It's kind of weird. Who knows what's up with that? We'll put a pin in that. Uh we head on to Mushroom Rock Road and uh this is one of the hot spots we had where they had said that the Jose Temple was having some issues. And we'll come back to Jose at some point. But Mushroom Rock, there was also an SOS signal from the Youth League, who we get because we are working with the Youth League ostensibly because we gave them the awesome sphere. And so we show up. We're like, hey, here to help. What's what's up? What's going on? And they're like, nah, don't worry about it. It's all good. We got some Machina from the Jose Temple. Gipple uh, helped us out. Gipple was like, here, have some robots that can kill uh, creatures for you. And uh, we'll help you know, strengthen you up and it's all good. And we're like, okay, cool. I guess we're not needed then. Bye. (laughs) We do get Lucille showing up to ask us about Nuge's disappearance. Um, And, and Lucille does kind of drop a hint that, Hey, uh, leadership's kind of gone everywhere. And and you're kind of the, the leader leader of Spira. Mm. And, you know, this is kind of, starting some friction here uh that will then come to a head later when we head to actual jose we don't do the mission in jose but we uh we check in with gipple and he's like no i've got the jose temple locked down uh don't Mm. worry about it i've got all these machina here no worries he does tease riku a little bit uh Mm. which is fun i thought that was just a fun addition uh yeah and like make, uh, make the joke about how they're a cute couple i'm like yeah you know what you're right they not wrong not wrong mm-hmm. and it, it, it's another one of the moments where again i am just reminded after playing so many other rpgs and jrpgs and coming back to 10-2 how different tonally 10-2 is and mm-hmm. how much i like it for that how it feels very different thinking a lot about it because as we were recording this right now there's a whole dust up online over turning red and people not being able to understand right what girls think like (laughs) right uh and being mad online about it and i'm playing 10 and i'm like they would hate this game Mm. but it is it's so engaging because it's so different and so Mm. unapologetically itself right and i you know we've had Excellent guests on the show to talk about that as well. Uh, please go listen back to some of the previous episodes with our excellent guests if you want to hear that. But it's this this game is so unapologetically itself, mm-hmm. and I really love it for that because it is so tonally different and just a, a breath of fresh air every time I play it. Right. Um, I don't know if I'm on board with Ken with best Final Fantasy yet, but it is <laughs> definitely in the upper echelons for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was just like a last note on Gipple before we head out. Um, mm-hmm. It was also interesting, like of the, you know the leadership in uh, in Spira right now. He's the one that is kind of just not involved in the other going on of the Vegna gun stuff. Yeah, and so I think like that does 
kind of like tacitly acknowledge something that like he's not invested in the future of spirit in the same way as those two but also that he might need some sort of other personal tie to actually get involved with that stuff and who knows what that could be who could say who could say (laughs) uh I think what it does set up early here, at least, is that maybe he's not invested in the future in terms of like who's going to rule and who's going to control and all that. But he does clearly care about the here and now and Mm -hmm. and Spira being self-sufficient and Spira being able to handle its own problems as seen by the fact that he doesn't want to hire Yuna and the Gullwings to take care of the fiend problem. Mm -hmm. He wants to solve it and he's even been helping other factions that would... theoretically not be aligned with him uh he's still helping them get the problem under control because he he cares a little bit more about spira in the present and making spira a hospitable livable place in the here and Mm. now and Uh, even like like says yuna by name like don't rely so much on yuna and you know it's clearly like noticing a problem that maybe like I think, I think Lucille's conversation earlier kind of acknowledges that, like, a lot of people still feel like they need leadership and that they don't really know what to do with all this independence that they suddenly have. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why they look to leaders. And, you know, like, there are people that, like, you know, they are better followers than leaders. And, you know, that's uh-huh. a perfectly fine way of going about life. But it just kind of seems like broadly that is an, an issue the Spirit is having and that some uh-huh. people are having to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that I'm liking Gipple a lot as a character in a way I did not think I was going to just because like now when he shows up and, and things are bad, things are happening and he's having to do something about it. I like that he's not the one off chasing Vegnagun. He's mm-hmm. the one that is like trying to help the people of Spira. I, mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, so points for Gipple this week <laughs> on on our big board of the boys of Final Fantasy X-2. <laughs> Gipple is in the lead. Uh, Beryl at dead last because he yeah dead dead us. last yeah yeah I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, at the bottom you could say <laughs> in the moon flow uh, we check in with Tobley. and uh, he's got kind of a show going on. You know he's trying to put it together very post pandemic we're throwing together mm. a concert vibes going on here <laughs> uh and uh it's it's not it's not happening you know what if we had a celebrity to draw people in ken what if we what if we got someone famous to draw people in uh you know run just don't <laughs> don't ask run run faster just keep running uh i love pain in this scene mm-hmm pain shout out to the localization team if if this was on the localization team which i'm i'm assuming just from the way everything was phrased uh that this was like the localization localization team stepping in and and being like this is how it should be Mm -hmm. phrased out and stuff oh my god just what a line delivery of like you know run run Mm -hmm. run faster don't ask questions just get out (laughs) of here (laughs) Mm. um they end up dragging her away from Tobley and getting ensnared and being part of a music slash circus act. But, uh, you know, just keeping that beat going of Yuna as the, the world's most popular celebrity slash geopolitical leader. <laughs> She's getting asked by everyone for everything. Um, mm-hmm. Guado Salam. Chateau LeBlanc. We do. There is a door we the door we have not been able to open this entire game and you can stop by the door and be like man 
what's behind this door? As Payne says, a girl could get curious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, another great line from Payne. Uh, we head into Chateau LeBlanc and Logos and Ormi are trying to impersonate Nuge to cheer up LeBlanc. LeBlanc is really torn up by the fact that Nuge has just disappeared and she has no one to praise her and, and give her gold stars. Uh, and so Logos and Ormi are trying to figure out how to cheer LeBlanc up by imitating Nuge poorly. They, they've fucking void have no clue. Yeah, their heart's in the right place, but their brains are nowhere near. <laughs> uh, so we, we can head upstairs and we can talk to LeBlanc and see what's up. And she's just pouting. You know, she mm. doesn't even want to hunt spheres if old Nuji Wuji is not around. Uh, so we head back to Logos and Ormi are like, look, LeBlanc's just down bad. It's, it's, it's rough up there. And uh, they're like, oh, maybe we have a sphere that might cheer her up. Nuge was on it. And so we can head into the now completely unsecret secret passageway below the the chateau, uh, which is still full of fiends for some reason. They mm-hmm. really need to get that checked out. That's that's a bad infestation down there that they're working with. Uh, and we can poke around a little bit for some good accessories and stuff while we're here. But we get to Logos and Ormi's room and we find the the sphere from you know obviously they were recording when we invaded Bavel and found Vegnagun and all that uh and there's there's a gag that had me laughing multiple <laughs> times here and at first i did not think it was going to make me laugh because it's it's a sphere of of, of them investigating and, and as you remember they had a sphere camera while they were investigating uh the Vegnagun outpost or whatever you want to call it the labs underneath bevel uh and the camera keeps zooming in on the 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 rear ends of our heroines here as as they're walking along and i'm like oh great here comes another joke about leering at all the women and haha boys will be boys and the you know, I was I was bracing myself for a My Hero Academia Mineta situation or a Teddy situation for a Persona Four reference. Uh, instead, you know, the girls are like, "Oh, you you jerk!" And Logos is like, "Well, it wasn't me. Ormi was recording." And then you see Ormi walk in front of the camera, <laughs> and they all go, "Yeah, sure it was." And like, that's a good joke. It's a good joke. Yeah. It's a really good gag. Like in all directions it could have gone, it actually made a joke. Like there's actually a joke here beyond men looking at women. I I I like that it doesn't let logos off the hook, which right. is what annoys me so much about these things. When you have like a magnetic character who you know peeps on the girls in the hot springs and all that, is so often it's very much like oh boys will be boys we're in the hot springs so we mm. have to peek over the i mean even like tales of her eyes a game that i liked a lot from last year uh i never saw this scene i guess i missed that in 80 hours of playing that game <laughs> but uh you know they always have that scene where they're like oh well we were boys so we got to mm. peep on the girls and all that it's like no one character in particular was perving and they make a funny joke about him trying to squirm out of it and put it on his friend. And then his obviously falls apart. 
and then they continue to give him shit about it afterwards. They do not just like laugh it off or be like, ha ha, that's logos. Like, no, mm-hmm. like what is, what is this other sphere you're going to show us? You perv more shots of us. And it's like, yeah, don't let him off the hook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, thank you. Yeah. Video game. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're talking about with like, like we're talking about with Nina, that episode, like how there are like a lot of opportunities for this game to be, you know, what, it, what I think a lot of people think it is like building outside that leering. never actually played it yeah like leering and like demeaning but like it, it finds either like one an actual punchline which this was or like the way that women are like treated and framed in this game is meaningful in a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it is actually like representing of something happening in the world and with these characters mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean again i can i can only speak to this in so much as i i am a cisgendered boy and and grew up in that world so i can't speak to how authentic it is and that's why we had some guests on like nina who could really speak to how authentic scenes like the hot springs uh part of the acquiring uh the leblanc uniforms are but in terms of just this striking a different tone from what we are so used to seeing in so many other games it is again just really nice to see that it doesn't fall into the obvious pitfalls it could have. Mm. Um, it does, it does better. And uh, I like it for that. <laughs> and also just even thinking about the, no army was recording this part. And then he walks directly in front of the <laughs> camera. Is just, we, we talked about this with mass effect. I think it was the mass effect three Citadel DLC, but that was Bioware figuring out how to do some like actual physical comedy mm-hmm. and, and like visual gags and stuff like that, which can be hard in a game system that, that is so interactive and so, you know, prone to anything happening at any time. And that, that's just a genuinely good line. That's a good bit. They mm-hmm. did a good bit here. <laughs> um, Anyways, I did not expect to spend that long talking about Logos and Ormi, but uh, we we do notice that Nuge is across the, let's say, the, the expanse, the chasm. So we get confirmation that Nuge was there at the site that the Vegna gun was. And so obviously Nuge is probably up to something involving Vegna gun and is there, but logos and army decide to not show this to leblanc because that would then tell leblanc that she needs to go chasing mm-hmm. after nuge and uh as logos uh a pervert <laughs> rightly <laughs> rightly uh says you know we can't let her just chase this guy everywhere uh we've right. got to you know we've got to look out for her a little bit protect her heart let's say um and also their lives <laughs> but uh i i do think that was this is an interesting moment because these are characters that obviously we were fighting not that long ago and now we're having a pretty good moment with them uh and then we get even more moments with this whole area when we watch another sphere that they have and uh it's another one of man who might be he <laughs> we can't say his name because the game won't but it could be him it could it be him no it couldn't be him uh i, I just love the way that Ten Two tries to get around saying titus mm. um but we we watch another sphere of of he in the cage uh yelling about xanarkand and the war and 
was clearly a thousand years ago. And then Macon just shows up out of nowhere, like just instant transmissions into this room (laughs) and is like, Oh yeah, that couldn't have been he, because this was thousands of years ago. And then Yuna kind of lets it drop that Titus, he, uh, was a dream of the faith. Uh, and Macon is like, Oh, then maybe you could be reunited. And pain takes offense to that is like, don't, don't say things without thinking, like don't give her false hope. If you, if you're just thinking out loud, like that's actually mean to do to her and she's hurting right now because of it. Um, again pain good friend yep. looking out really looking out at all times uh-huh i like i like this whole section i like the guado slumps like uh section a lot and weirdly enough one of my favorite parts uh that i just noticed as they were kind of being told the story by macon uh the way riku's just kind of hanging out on the bed just chilling uh mm-hmm. i i I just like the way that these characters make themselves at home wherever yep. they are. It's fun. It's endearing. Mm-hmm. Especially Riku, who is totally the friend that comes over to your house and just like immediately sits on that couch like it's their own couch and does not have any like, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote manners about it, but just kind of like bounces onto your couch, like raids your fridge for, for a mm-hmm. soft drink first. And it's just like hanging out like it's their own place. And that's very Riku. And I noticed mm-hmm. that in this cutscene, and I was like, ah, yeah. little, little touches, little touches. Mm-hmm. Look what happens when you set up a party from the beginning and develop <laughs> them across the entirety of a game. Incredible. The Thunder Plains. Not many check-ins here, just a few. Uh, We talked to Sid, who is uh, feeling sorry for himself. Counterpoint, Xanarkin. Go fuck yourself, Mm. Sid. (laughs) Riku is not not having it, which is... Yeah. It's interesting, because, like, Yuna being, like, the very empathetic person that she is, like, wants to, like, you know, talk about what's wrong, what's going on, and then Riku's just like, no, this man does these things, just Mm -hmm. does shit. And I'm not going to, like, bail him out. I'm not going to let him, mm-hmm. you know, feel sorry for himself and try and drag us into his moping. And mm-hmm. I appreciated that, to be honest. He, uh, he wants someone to tell him it's all actually okay and no right. one's mad at him. And he needs to, like, get over that because, like, the fact that he isn't thinking about that stuff is what caused you to be mad at him in the first place. Right. So... If you want him to learn, you got to let him learn the hard way by moping in the Thunder Plains. Man has to learn how to self-soothe. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, we also find Leon and Ade, the Ronso kids, who are on a search to restore Kimari's horn. And we can just kind of send them somewhere, and we'll see them there later. Just two unsupervised children traveling through the world. And we're just not going to let Kimari know. And we're just going to let them have their adventures, I guess. (laughs) Sure. This is part of 100%, folks. (laughs) That's the only thing invested that I have in that right now. Uh, Over in Makalania, this is actually a pretty cool section. Uh, We have a series of six attacks, six battles that we have to do all in a row at the shop that's next to the Makalania Lake. And, and you, so we had had some setup here that 
this travel agency ever since Makalania, the actual temple and stuff went completely underwater and all the fiends started coming out and into the woods and all that. Uh, this travel agency was not being utilized because it's a bad time over there <laughs> and uh, not many people were coming by and it's also been a bit hostile. Uh, it hasn't been doing well. Uh, so here we have the culmination of this. The fiends are just attacking the shop and we have to fight six different battles all in a row uh, to get what we need to do with no breaks in between no mm. breaks. Uh, and there, there are some tough fights in here. I feel like some of them are kind of intended as, Hey, take a break for a moment. Like use this battle to do your healing, to get mm. yourself, you know, fit back up. You know, we've got two, two enemies on the field that you kind of already know how to deal with. So, swap over to your white mage work on that a little bit and then you go into the next one and it's that big two-headed guy and the the flying eye goma thing mm. and you're like oh crap yep. <laughs> it i i failed it once uh i i got it on the second time but i failed it the first time around uh it was it was it was a good challenge it was a yeah. nice challenge yeah i also i think twice but like it, like I said, my, my notes, like the snowballing effect of it is, like that's kind of a, a thing with ten to broadly. It's like you know, it's so fast paced. That, like if you're, if you lose one person, it is very easy to suddenly lose the other two while you're trying to heal that one person, mm-hmm. and it feels like that's kind of like extended for several fights because you can't heal in the middle of them. So, yeah, it's 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 tough. Mm-hmm. Uh. We get inside after winning the fight and the Albed leader there. Everyone, by the way, has been massacred. Like this is this is a part of the game that I felt like really deals with like, oh, just because Sin's not around anymore, like a lot of people just get murdered in this mm. scene. And you walk into that uh travel agency and it's brutal on yep. the inside. Like it looks bad in there. And the 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 leader there gives us the berserker uh, dress sphere and then passes away uh and i was i was kind of shocked by this yep. whole scene it was a lot, it was a lot it's, I mean, it, yeah it's one of the darker moments of this chapter for sure in the midst of like you know the fucking like the tonal whiplash of depending on how you play these things can be pretty strong because i like, say mm-hmm. you came here straight from luca after having done the fear break and it's like oh right just a reminder that the world is dangerous mm-hmm. Uh, so I did not pay off Owaka's debt, so I did not get this scene. But uh, if you have paid off Owaka's debt, he apparently shows up and vows to turn the shop around and, and do right by the folks who gave their lives to protect it. Uh, I have yeah. not given Owaka any of my money because that's all gone towards accessories. Sorry, bud. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean... I wanted I, rings. <laughs> yeah, I, I think before I came here, I like went and made a point to go pay off the rest of his debt, usually by, like, selling stuff to Barkeep and then mm. buying th- stuff from Awaka. Because, like, I mean, his stuff is, like, slightly discounted, so it kind of works out anyway. Um, but, yeah, like, I went and paid it off, so, like, he comes here and is, like... Because, like, Awaka's a character that runs away from shit the majority of times that we've ever seen him in, in these games. So for mm. him to have a moment where he's like, okay, I'm going to step up. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's good. That's, like, the natural conclusion to this character, I think. I wonder if I could still pay off because I'm still in chapter three. I wonder if I could still pay off his debt and then come back and get that scene. Or if you have to do it like before you do the battle in Makalan. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, what's the shot? Yeah, it's worth trying. 
I mean, either way, you know, what do I lose? So, mm. uh, but Berserker, I have not used this yet. I'm interested in slotting this into Payne's Dress Sphere to replace Warrior, but curious on your thoughts, Ken. Yeah, I um, I tend to like I, I use um, Berserker on Pain because it is the fastest of these kind of like really powerful like damage dealing Dress Spheres because like it, one, it's uh like it's it's fast one thing, but it also like it allows you to uh, cast Berserk on yourself, and then so what I often do is I'll get Pain to do that so like she'll be stronger, but I lose control of her, but I also kind of don't have to manage her in the same way like so I'm kind of able to focus specifically on Yuna and Riku, and their abilities and whatever things whatever uh things i need to get done then while i just have you know pain being this fucking uh you know this damage dealing force of nature that's going on on the side and luckily like i for, for some reason remembered berserk or maybe, maybe that's confusion i guess that, that like I, I was always afraid for a while that she was gonna hit the party but no like she very specifically hones in on enemies so that sort of risk is gone there but there is you know the greater risk of like you you do lose control of a character for mm-hmm. you know an indeterminate amount of time, yeah. But it's always worked out in my favor, and I, uh, it, like, and the weird thing about it is like when she when she switches into like she doesn't walk across the battlefield to hit somebody. She rolls into a ball, Sonic the Hedgehog style, and then <laughs> comes up and fucking sucker punches enemies, and that's fun. That's cool. <laughs> I might give it a shot because I have a good white mage in Riku, and I have Yuna doing a lot of the songstress uh, stuff. And I feel like that combination might work out well of Berserker, Sonstress, White Mage, of just all-out blitz offense on Pain, and then backing her up with buffs and healing. So we'll see. Maybe I'll maybe I'll fool around a little bit with that dress sphere at some point. Uh, and then we also get an Albed Primer and I think a Garment Grid from this. But yeah. Mm. So you know, dress sphere, Garment Grid, Albed Primer. Uh, and traumatic visions that's that's <laughs> 10 <too> classic <laughs> but over in beacon l uh we we get told that we need to interact with the cactar nation which i guess is just here in 10 is just a bunch of cactuses uh but there are still the fantasy cactuar everywhere mm-hmm. um 10 I'm trying to remember the exact way they frame this, but they say that there is something stirring underground and they need the 10 sages of the Cactar nation to summon the great Haboob, which if you are familiar with the term, a Haboob is a dust storm uh, and not just a funny word to say out loud, but uh, they basically need these sages who have been journeying across Spira to come back and defend the, the Cactar nation and we need to find some of them. Uh, we can get five or six of them in this chapter, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, there's there's one in the Oasis. There's one in Besaid, uh, Chateau LeBlanc, Guadalajara, uh, the Calmlands, Thunderplains. Uh, and we have to do this weird. It's like a shooting gallery, kind of like it, it bounces between camera angles, and we have to hit x when it's on the right character to shoot them and, and it, just it sucks kind of like pacifies them it sucks it's real bad it's too fast but luckily you don't have to win to accomplish what you're trying to do so it's whatever. yeah so uh, that's that's another collectathon thing we're going to have to do for completion reasons i'm assuming um 
we'll get something good out of it, God willing. <laughs> and uh, we'll just move on with that. I don't know. I don't have much more to say about that part because it's just like, hey, here's another mini game. Hey, mm-hmm. you know how you're done with Sphere Break? Well, let us introduce a new mini game for you to engage with. Yeah. Uh, wasn't wild about it, but it is what it is. Uh, anyways. Over on Gagazette, this is where we're going to wrap up the episode, last big part of this before we move on to part two in our next episode. But Gagazette, uh, we show up, and Kamari is saying that Garrick is getting real sick at Kamari's shit and is going to lead the Ronso youth to the top of the mountain to prepare for an attack on the Guado. Kamari gives a very... Ken, you and I were talking about this because I even played this today, the day of recording. And the reasoning, the best reasoning I have for why Kamari cannot directly get involved is him being like, well, he's going to talk to the voice of the mountain. And I hope that the voice of the mountain will tell Garrick that it's, you know, wrong and, and he will listen to the wisdom of the mountain and come back down. And it's so I I'm not crazy about it. It feels weird. It feels weirdly passive in the face of a character who was never that. Also, like it, it's got that tinge of like, oh, you know, he's the the upstart young youth that wants to start war, whereas the wise leader is like, listen to nature, and and nature will tell you that war is not the way. And I don't know they they haven't established Kimari well enough as a as that kind of character to do that yet. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I like Kimari when he's a character that's having to deal with the fact that he ran away from the Ronso because he was bullied for who he was and, uh, like lived among people for a long time. And so then has to return to the Ronso and the Ronso are like, you're not one of us and you're trying to lead us. Like we appreciate the things you're doing, but there's a lot of resentment towards him because he's seen, as both a person who has brought peace to Spira, but also as not a quote unquote true Ronso. And so that's why these kids are trying to restore his horn because they respect him and they want him to be respected. But then you have upstarts like Garrick who are like, no, I'm the one who knows what true Ronso want and Ronso want revenge for the people that literally murdered all of us. Mm -hmm. And like, that's good conflict for Kamari to have to deal with. And I think that's compelling. And so to suddenly have him be like, Oh no, I can't get directly involved. That's not the way of the mountain. I'm like, dude, <laughs> come mm. on. I would have liked to have had maybe something where Kamari's like, I, you know, me getting involved will only create more problems. Like, like him having to wrestle with the fact that Garrick's upstartedness is very much a response to the way Kamari has been leading. And so Kamari can't speak and they do kind of touch on this because you as yuna and the gold wings say we can go after garrick and kamari's like oh yeah you know they might listen to you that might be mm-hmm. the right way to do it and i was like cool yeah no that that makes sense is bring in another perspective someone like yuna who is you know has seen the ravages of war and can also it, it is in sort of a place where you have been helping the the Ronso up to this point uh you would make sense as somebody to act as a third party to get involved mm. uh for, for once in the many games we have covered a third party has a reason to get involved mm. <laughs> uh yeah this is another point where i was just like what are they doing with kamari the character and i think 
you know, I, I think the end result is the same, but the way they get there just feels a little bit messy. Um, I don't know. What, how, what did you think of, of this moment for Kamari? I think it is, it, it doesn't quite get to the same level as Lulu in terms of like really feeling like they're kind of like shoving this character to the side um, in, in the surface of something else. But it does kind of get towards that because like I, I think there's something interesting you said about like all the things we just said about like how Kamari has been a person who has been a Ronso outside of like, of Gagazette and like sees the world in a grander, grander way than some people that have just lived here their entire life are going to. Um, but it doesn't feel like it just goes anywhere. Because, like, you know, even when in these previous chapters, when we've kind of come here to talk to the Ronso, mm-hmm. Yuna's the one that kind of, like, has to say things to various people to get any sort of movement going in here, where mm-hmm. Kamari's kind of like, I not these f- fucking kids. I don't know what to do with them. I'm that nobody respects me as a leader and I don't know, maybe they're right. And I think, I guess if nothing else, like I, I do kind of like the way this ends in terms of Yuna being like, I'm not even concerned about the conflict. I am concerned about my friend and how this is affecting him. And that I guess feels kind of in line with how she's been throughout this game in terms of like, I don't want to get involved in all these, all these, you know, petty wars that, uh, spirit is getting into but i do care about the people that i care about i want to be able, like i you know i want to be able to have like you know that one track mind of like why this matters to me it's because it is hurting the people that i care about but in terms of kamari like yeah he's just kind of he's just kind of there and yeah. he gives the dress fear that whips ass but yeah the trainer one which i initially thought was something else i thought that was how they were going to introduce some of the more of the monster aspects and so i didn't really look at it but from your description here it sounds like it's actually pretty cool yeah it's one of the few dressers in the game where each character gets a different set of abilities because what everyone get they get a pet that they are like training to fight and so like it's mm-hmm. kind of like like you know yojimbo had a dog right that when right. you summoned him like he would fight with that uh it's kind of like that Yuna, like Yuna's pet literally is one of the dogs of whatever fictional breed that is um that yojimbo has and the, so like it it plays in shiba no, I thought it's it was. A sh- I'm looking it up. I thought I, for some reason I thought you Jimbo had a had a Shiba Inu. No, it's a. Uh, I don't even know if there's a word for in in the Final Fantasy universe as to what that thing is. Well, it's not. Um, it's not a coral or whatever because that's what they call cats in Final Fantasy, at least in Final Fantasy 14. Uh, the, the wiki says dog animal. <laughs> oh, great. Um, that's that's really funny. Um, Jesus Christ, yeah. I'm looking at somebody's fucking pictures from old oh, Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. It's got that sort of, like, almost lion face in yeah. the front. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Yuna has one of those. Uh, Pain. <laughs> Pain has a bird, I think, and Riku has a monkey, I think. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so, like, they, the they have different movesets and different... Can, can it do, like thief things like can it like steal stuff out of people's pockets i'm actually not sure because the only the only one i've ever used has been yuna um, i will report back <laughs> but yeah it i think that's it, it is kind of gimmicky in that way that like you know it's it's not like it serves like a very specific function in terms of like things mm-hmm. like abilities that it can do that nothing else can do because like a lot of yuna's um attacks are like elemental attacks with the dog and mm. Like, like, one of the primary things, like, one of the most powerful things she has is, like, you know, a holy attack with the dog. Oh, 
Um, so yeah, like you, I guess in that way you are getting a lot of things that kind of go beyond the scope of the magic users that you have now. But yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's a fun, fun thing to have. And, um, they're actually, you know, pretty powerful for what it is. Yeah, this is my pet monkey, by the way. My pet monkey can cast Ultima. (laughs) So, (laughs) fun fact. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm curious to check that out because it would be cool if I was thinking maybe they all adhere to their own styles. Like Riku's a thief uh, or rogue type. Uh, Yuna's like magic user, pains warrior. So maybe they adhere to those. I might I might go check that out. That sounds interesting. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, I would be interested to see that because I do think while I like the idea of festivalist, I also have just not been using it because I found it to be just not very reliable and also mm. not the most easy to wield for each of the characters that have it so far. Whereas uh, I'm more interested in the idea of seeing what these characters might have with these companion things and, and what mm. that might change between them. Um, anyways, we head up the mountain, which we have to walk up because mm-hmm. apparently Garrick disabled all the, uh trans transporters classic garrick mm. and uh so we just have to run all the way up um talking to a bunch of ronso on the way that just really hate the guado um and we get to garrick and he's like you can't stop me and and i'm gonna kill the guado and i'm mad but uh you know yuna tries to appeal with reason and then garrick is like look you know, trial by combat. If you can mm. beat me, we'll stop. Uh, I didn't have a lot of trouble with this fight, mm. to be honest with you. Um, I, so I knew that one of the tricks to it, which I had read in the guide that we've been using was that, uh, apparently if you have a black mage, he will keep trying to use his curse ability on that black mage. So if you then also equip the black mage with, an ability that stops curse. He'll mm. be like, Oh, I didn't curse him this time, but I'll get him next time. And mm-hmm. she keeps using curse over that did not happen for me. Garrick just kept attacking all my party members. So I wasn't sure what was going on there. Uh, maybe that's a thing that they have fixed in later versions of this game. But I also just did not have trouble with this fight on the whole. Mm. Um, there was only one Ronso youth. Apparently you can have more depending on, like whether you have given the right answers in previous Mount Gagazette uh, mm. visits or not, but I just took out the Ronso youth and just kind of beat on Garrick for a while with my classes. And mm. uh, it, it was pretty straightforward. I even, I think I had Yuna on healer, which was weird because Yuna, as I've said, I've been trying to boost up some of the subclasses of other characters. So I had, Yuna learning some white mage stuff just so, you know, I had her in a pinch uh, for, for battles and even you know with very very basic white mage abilities was able to keep my team topped off and protected the whole time mm. so like i did not feel like i had much trouble with it um yeah how'd you kind of feel about it yeah i think like once i kind of got past his defense because like a lot of his uh kind of opening moves are protection magic i i just mm. had riku on white mage to dispel it and then switch back to alchemist and yeah i probably should have done that i was yeah. i was just stubborn and i was like hey you can make the damage less but you can't stop me from doing it so i'm mm-hmm. just gonna keep hitting you <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah it was you know ultimately it's a fight that's just kind of you know hitting each other for a long period mm-hmm. of time not really any gimmicks and not as i'd say intricate or involved as the uh 
as some of the fights we've had recently but mm. overall you know still yeah. still kind of a neat conclusion to that yeah and... i did like that that last scene where after you beat him he's kind of like after i you know spoke to the, the whatever they call it the uh the voice of the mountain it was silent so uh-huh. i knew i wasn't this wasn't what i was meant to do so you kind of yeah, like yeah, reframes the fight as like him just being frustrated and like wanting to fight about something mm-hmm. but then kind of just being in his eyes the thing that like signals to him like no i was wrong yeah it's an interesting one to end on because i do think it's that we've we've kind of been having all these different factions rise into their own power and here we have a faction rebelling against its leader or at least it's like corporeal leader but then when they turn to their spiritual leader their you know ethereal um deity that they kind of have for themselves still being told like no you are you are being rash you're being headstrong like you know step away take a deep breath think about this and it's also kind of that lingering in the background concern of man you know we're dealing with vegna gun and we're dealing with building and we're dealing with all these other major high level problems but also like there are a lot of ronso who are still really mad about what happened in final fantasy 10 mm-hmm. and they're angry especially the youth and they don't know what to do with it and kamari's struggling in in trying to figure out what how he's going to handle all of it um and i i like the moments when we come back here to visit that stuff so looking forward to when we get more of that in, mm. in future chapters uh i mean we're, we've only got two chapters left which is wild uh i know these chapters are pretty big but uh to think of it in terms of we've really only got possibly two stops left at gagazette is mm. is kind of wild uh to think about so uh yeah kamari bud my heart goes out to you <laughs> maybe i don't know start you know just throw Garrick off the mountain or something, you know, <laughs> this is why I'm not a leader, but still, you know, maybe just throw Garrick off the mountain. <laughs> uh, as always, you know, we are Normandy FM. We are a retrospective podcast. We are covering final fantasy 10 right now in the past. We have done mass effect, dragon age, Jade empire, the last of us and final fantasy 10 as well. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, if you've been listening to us, especially on the free feed, uh, you can always, leave us a, a, a like a comment a subscribe a review you know something to to give us a little bit of boost in the algorithm more than anything else you know ken and i this is not our profession this is not something that is our job this is a passion project for the both of us and uh the nice thing is that we have been expanding and growing a little bit and reaching more people and that's really all we want to do is just reach more ears and have larger conversations and so if you want to help us with that, the algorithm loves numbers. <laughs> so you can help that by uh, doing all that stuff for us, uh, just engaging with that content, sharing it around, you know, do, do what you want to do. If you want to get more involved, if you want to support in a more physical, uh, fiscal way, you can uh, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash where you can back us at any level to help us, uh, you know, keep the lights on, pay for some of the stuff we got to pay for, like hosting and, and hard drives to put stuff on and all that sort of thing. Uh, at any level you will get into the backer discord where you can hang out, chat with us, ask us questions, all that kind of stuff. 
at the next level up. You get these episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them. And folks, we right now are starting to catch up to what our runtime was, but we're going to do another burst of recording here. So if you're listening to this on the free feed, just know that there are probably already multiple other episodes <laughs> followed up by this in in the Patreon feed already that you could be listening to right now if you back there. Uh, and then at the highest level, you get your name shouted out every week here on the pod. As soon as I find wherever Slack moved the pinned things to... <laughs> They move it all the time. Uh, and that this this list, the list for that this week is Jest, Mercedes Cluis, Meredith, Micah Manthe, and Shane Erickson. Thank you all so much for contributing and backing the things we do here and making it so much easier for us to run this podcast. Next week, it's going to be me and Ken again. Uh, we're just going to be... Next... Okay, I've done so well, Ken. Mm. <laughs> next episode... It's just going to be me and Ken again. We're going to be wiping out the rest of chapter three, uh, basically laying out the groundwork. Yeah, yeah, the plot parts, laying out the groundwork for the plot, getting into the actual heart of the hotspot missions. And then, you know, episode after that, I think it's been a while since we had a guest, Ken. I think we'll have to bring a guest on. I think we'll have to get some some people yeah. back on the show. You know, I like you. I like <laughs> hanging out with you. But variety is the spice of mm-hmm. life. So... Maybe for chapter four, we'll, we'll have a guest on. Who can say? But even on top of that, we're planning out literally after this podcast is done recording, we're going to talk a little bit and plan out our, our plans for Cyberpunk 2077, which will kick off in June. And folks, what what a ride it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a season this is going to become. The guests were already thinking about the, the episodes we're looking at. I mean... Truly, the timing of the patch could not have been more fortuitous. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's never been a better time to discourse about Cyberpunk 2077, (laughs) except for maybe December of 2020. (laughs) And so we're we're looking forward to giving this game the real critical reassessment that uh, I've been hearing it deserves. I've been hearing from folks, not just Ken, uh, that this game is worth looking at again. You know, seeing what it does now that is, quote unquote, 1.0 that it is you know at probably where it should have been at launch Mm. uh it's gonna be interesting i hope you'll join us for the ride but until then for ken for myself for everyone for everyone out there take care of yourselves and we will see you next time on normandy fm (laughs) 